0: Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws?
1: Universal has enriched this fascinating drama of interwoven lives with a superb cast. Charlton Heston, Ava Gardner, George Kennedy, Lorne Greene, Genevieve Bujold, Richard Roundtree, Marjo Gortner, Barry Sullivan, plus the city of Los Angeles and its millions of people living, loving, planning, fighting until nature's most violent of people forces them to battle and claw for life itself. again. Yeah, I think we'll get faster action if you call me. In. I have to go to Oregon this summer. All summer on a hydroelectric project. Come up there. They indicate another pre-shock probably before noon today.
0: Mm-hmm. And if it happens?
2: Then the big one follows in 48 hours.
0: If this damn bus, there won't be nothing between here and Wilshire Boulevard left to burn!
3: And welcome to Is It Yours Incense Around. I'm Paul Spitaro, and as always, I am here with my good buddy, Mr. Sean Whalen. It's a pleasure to be here. And we are joined today by three fourths of the cast of Stabby Road. We have the Graydon father and son act, Josh and Rob, and we have Joe Senna. How are you guys doing? great
4: so far so good
3: (laughs) we'll see if that
2: (laughs) stays with you
3: yeah i'm excited
2: to talk about earthquake
3: joe joe and rob were both here for uh the towering inferno this is josh's first time aboard uh and uh welcome aboard to all of you i'm glad you can make it you're so great i'm so glad to be back i'm I'm glad you were able to and uh but i gotta say a lot of the movies that we've been doing of late are nostalgia driven for me i remember oh yeah i saw this when i was a kid hey sean how about we do this movie i'm I'm, you know i want to give this one a shot and usually that nostalgia is well well rewarded that wasn't the case with this one i watched Mm -hmm. this one and i have to say i was sorely disappointed with my memories compared to what i got wow I don't know what you guys thought, but I'm going to give you just my really quick in a nutshell on it, and then we'll throw it around and see what you guys thought. I saw this when it first came out in Sense Around, and we'll talk a little bit about Sense Around as we get into this. And as with all of the disaster movies of the day, I really enjoyed it. I got a big kick out of it. I think I saw it in the theater more than once. And then I remember seeing it when they first broadcasted on television and turning up the stereo in the house to try and create Sense Around. And I still enjoyed it, and I had not seen it in, oh, I don't know, whatever that it would be, 50 years, (laughs) 45 years, whatever it is. Uh, And I watched it for this, and I watched it twice for this. And I have to say, I think it failed in the formula. The formula, as I have presented it, is first you have to make everybody like the characters. Yeah. And there are precious few characters in this movie to like. I think the only two that I could really <clears throat> say that were significant characters, characters that I liked were George Kennedy and jean V. That's it. Victoria principal was likable, but she had a smaller part and everybody else was like a bad guy, including even Charlton Heston, who, you know, was, was kind of like a, you know, giving the big fu to his wife and just, yeah, I, you know, his, his moral code seemed to be all over the place. Uh, I don't know. It it just I never I never found him to be likable. And it's hard for for Charlton Heston to not exude charisma. So I'm going to I'm going to put that out there to start it and let you guys pick up and tell me what you think. So I hadn't seen
5: this before. And, um, you know, for the purpose of this, when you were saying, hey, we're going to do disaster movies, you want to do earthquake? I'm like, sure. I haven't seen it. So I watched it twice for this. Um, I watched it you know, one time through just to kind of wrap my head around the story. I watched it the second time through. It's interesting. I agree with everything you're saying as far as the characters you know, not necessarily being likable, but I thought they had interesting stories. Um, I, I, while I wanted to see the earthquake win <laughs> in certain <laughs> cases, um, I actually found that I was engaged in everyone's stories. There was a lot going on in this film, and I think that's to the benefit of the film. Because of the fact that, to your point, there's not really somebody that I was considering like a true hero in this story. Even the ones that kind of step up and become heroic are your people who are, you know, it's like, okay, now we're finally seeing them, you know, do something. But I did find that their stories were really engaging. We'll talk more about it as we go along. That was kind of my initial impression. Um, I was three when this came out, but I'm surprised I didn't see it like you know at the point in time of like seeing it like through a television you know showing of it or something <laughs> because this these were kind of like the marvel movies of that era right mm-hmm. it was like yeah these were,
4: the big, these were the event movies
5: yeah these were the big event movies and i love these kind of movies i don't know how i missed this one but um it'll be fun to talk about
3: Maybe. who wants to go next
6: i um uh i yeah i i haven't seen it in a very long time i don't think it it lived up to my memory of it mm. um but it but it came at a, a really interesting time for me because it was at a time when like my dad and i went we were on this weird sense around romp we would just mm-hmm. go to see every sense around movie
3: i think there were four yes uh, there, there was were, this roller coaster midway midway, midway and, and then Battlestar Battlestar Galactica.
6: Galactica, Yes. <clears throat> um and we saw them all we saw them all i saw this on um i saw this in a double feature they they had re-released at towering inferno oh we i think we talked about this the last time they re-released towering inferno and then we saw earthquake and sensor after that so i was in the theater for like six hours watching this um but but at that time the censor was like a big giant deal i remember when um it came to television and they they uh they simulcast the sense around mm-hmm. on on uh, the radio. Yep. And I in my brain, I'm thinking, OK, I asked my parents if I could bring because we had a, a little tiny radio in our kitchen. So I said, can we bring my my TV from my room into the kitchen and I will broadcast in my brain thinking since I was going to come through a little uh, clock radio this big. Right. Uh, and it was just a it was just a garbled mess. It was there was nothing about it. But I was I was like, wow, I've got sense in my kitchen.
3: You know, um, <laughs> no reason to have any sort of bass or subwoofer.
0: or anything.
6: Oh, no, nothing. It, it was just a, a large hiss, it was just, a, it was just a, a, an annoying hiss, but I didn't care. It was it for me, it was sense around. Uh, so that's the sort of memory I had of it. Uh, and then going back into it, yeah, I, it, it, there's there's a lot more dead space. I actually didn't remember that it was kind of structured the way it was, which I kind of did actually like the way it's structured, which is basically uh before and after the earthquake like the earthquake literally comes at the middle, yeah you know? that,
3: that's a good point and I, and I agree with you there i do yeah. like that that particular uh way of putting the movie together
6: right right um there's i mean i just thought there was just a lot of unnecessary stuff uh pre-earthquake
4: you know uh, yes like all the story yeah. <laughs> it was like, yes. oh my god can we see the earthquake
5: yeah exactly you do root for the earthquake in this, I will say that. Yeah, well, of course, yeah.
3: Because <laughs> there's so many bad guys in this thing. Yeah. It's like Godzilla movies.
4: It's like, stop talking. Let's get back to the guys in the r- rubber suits and the miniature cities and the toys and blowing stuff up, you know. Yeah. Shut up.
6: Yeah, and this is the same thing, just without without monsters.
4: Exactly.
5: Yeah. I love the Godzilla analogy, because that, honestly, I, I think... If there, if I'm going to say what I liked about the film, I think that Godzilla analogy is what I liked.
3: I, I think I was rooting for Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the movie had spectacle. Yeah. That's what it promised when you mm-hmm. went in, and they had that. But to be fair, and I am very forgiving of special effects of the era. I watch King Kong versus Godzilla and see the two guys in the rubber suits, and I revel in it. Yeah. I love that movie. But I was watching this one and the special effects, which seemed so cutting edge in 1974, really seemed like a bunch of styrofoam rocks, uh, mm. paint, matte paintings and miniatures to me watching it now. Right.
4: Well, considering that that's what they were using. Yeah. Um, but, but it's supposed to you into found, not seeing that. <clears throat> yes, because at the time, your eye wasn't trained when you were younger to, to look for that kind of stuff. Um, and, and not only that, you hadn't seen anything better so that's that's the effect that has i i in turn watch this um the very forgiving eye um knowing that you know whenever there was something happening in the studio they were going to be sh- throwing styrofoam pieces at, at at guys but um it still blows me away how they have a um uh a curve of a turnpike crumble over a truck as it's overturning and it's just it's it's so realistic looking still that one particular shot and it's just miniatures um, so I, I actually think a lot of the effects hold up you know if, if you were to look at them independent of the uh, the dreadful fashions and wooden acting um, that surrounded this film yeah I, I think it, it it holds up
6: yeah and there are a lot of like invisible effects too i mean like the, when you first see those seismograph guys where the cows are uh, out in the pasture those two guys in the little trenches that entire trench is a is a matte painting that's an albert Whit- albert woodlock was a master of matte paintings and um it's kind of almost invisible that when i was watching it it took me a second to go oh yeah that's a that's a matte painting you know um some of the scene extensions in the aftermath are actually really good um in terms of when you see the back paintings but the front stuff still looks sort of like yeah like like miniatures so they don't necessarily fit together but um I did appreciate the fact that yeah that that back then it, it was kind of cutting edge uh, uh visual effects I was more I uh, let me say something I was way more apt to believe the fact that those buildings were real than
3: Lauren Green was Ava Gardner's father. I was going to get to that. Now, just okay. just to hit on that for a moment, because since you brought us there already, yeah. Lauren Green, at the time this movie was made, was fifty nine years old. Oh my god! Oh my god! He was fifty nine. <laughs> yes. All right. Ava Gardner was fifty three. Ava uh, Gardner was fifty three. Charlton had no. Excuse me. She was fifty two. No, I got it backwards. She was 53, yeah. and Charlton Heston was 52. <clears throat> and uh, what's her name? jean Ville Bouchot, was 32. Mm. So, you know, you, the, 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 there is some element of, do you believe her as a love interest for Charlton Heston, who's 20 years her senior? And,
6: and first off, he also like he didn't look 20 years her senior. He looked yeah. like he was 50, and she looked like she was 12.
4: Exactly. So, I so mean, age gap so stuff. Worse. Age gap stuff doesn't doesn't bother me as much as, um, you know, what they try to pull off. Uh, Charlton Heston was about ninety, and uh, yeah, she was about four. So that that
3: was that, that well, was a pretty. I love yeah. that the
2: age gap keeps growing. It's like.
3: Morton <laughs> Lord, <Lorden clears throat> Green in this kept bringing to mind the joke from the movie Tin Men because they have a guy in that movie. If you if any of you have seen it, who is sure. obsessed with the show Bonanza. And when he keeps talking about it, somebody comes back to him and says, why the hell are you so enamored with this show? It's about a 50-year-old man and his 340 40-year-old sons. <laughs> <laughs> and I obviously I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. that, that's the joke. And that's what I kept thinking watching him in this.
6: Yeah. But somehow in the 70s, you kind of just got away
3: with that. You yeah. know, I mean, it's like. Although, although I, you yeah. know, in, in reading about it, the reviews of it did point that out, that the the casting was a little unrealistic as far yeah. as that goes. I think it was just a matter of, oh, what what big names can we get and what can we, you know, what what round hole can we push these square pegs into? Yeah. Josh, I'm assuming this is the first time you've ever seen this movie was in prep for this.
6: Yes,
2: um, uh, we did do a binge of. uh, uh, Dad, can you mute yourself? (laughs) We got to keep muting each other. Sorry, we're getting echo. We're in close proximity. Um, Yes. So we did do a binge of disaster movies when I was a kid somewhere before after we watched airplane i don't remember if we watched the disaster movies to prep for watching airplane or whatever i loved airplane as a kid but um we watched a bunch of them but this wasn't one of them i think that's a good thing because i think it would have lost my attention um but i enjoyed it i thought the i understand the criticism of they weren't likable but i did find the characters interesting um I didn't not want to watch them um the structure was interesting as well to see all these different stories and then to have it before <clears throat> and after the earthquake um I thought that was interesting the effects I really liked you like you guys would talk about some of the matte paintings it it I would rewatch it i it I think it holds up better than it should. I can't explain why necessarily on a technical level um but I mean Charlton Heston is interesting to watch uh it it was interesting I did miss th- the last five minutes because um uh my girlfriend who will rename, rem- remain nameless uh uh was rushing me out the door to leave so I missed the last five minutes but um i, I did enjoy it I thoroughly enjoyed it i Everybody dies. It. okay well, the, the, the last five minutes and and I
3: you know I'm, I'm gonna just leave. Nah, screw it. Spoilers, everybody. Yeah. Uh, Charlton, they they get through to where all of these people are in. I guess it's is it in a subway tunnel or whatever it is they're in, and the water is coming in. Yeah. And they're gonna they're gonna be killed, but they get through and they they yeah. they have to climb up to, to get out. <clears> and <throat> and somebody steps on Ava Gardner's hand as she's walking out, as she's climbing the ladder to get out. She falls into the water. Charlton Heston looks up at jean Jeanne Villebois, looks down at Ava Gardner, and naturally the choice is to keep climbing up. But he dives in and basically sacrifices himself. They both die.
6: Which I, I again, I think the, at the very end is when I thought his character started to get into, started getting interesting. You know, I was like, okay, he's not just some one-dimensional guy. He's actually making you. You get to see a character make a physical decision here.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, and that was great. I thought that was a terrific way of of ending out his character. Uh, I just wish you'd seen more of of uh, that aspect of him.
3: You well, know, does he? He, sacrifice he never seems himself he
6: never seems
3: Does he sacrifice himself because he isn't going to just let her die because he's going to be racked with guilt, or is he so unbelievably confident that he thinks he can dive into this raging torrent and pull her out? I don't know.
6: You know, but I, you know, uh, I I like the idea that he, he did choose Ava Gardner.
3: But See, I don't think he thing, chose her though. I because I think if he had successfully taken her out, he was still breaking up with her.
6: Oh yeah, no, I was just meant to like uh, uh, like <clears up throat> two of <throat> two decisions to make instead of just leaving. To her let her
4: die, yeah, right. would have been the other one, yeah. which would have been yeah you know, convenient, but yeah, I, uh, you know, reprehensible. Yeah.
6: Yeah, and I think it would have been more interesting if we saw more of that, uh, uh, that that torment in him during the whole thing. Because at the the entire time he was just like, "All right, I don't like my wife, but I like her dad because I need his work," you know. And so that, to me, that didn't make him that likable a character. I think if he was more, more um, uh, struggling with the concept of having a, a mistress or something like that. It just seemed a little, and you know, I, it did. I, I like the fact that it did actually come to that conclusion at the end, but I thought it, I thought it would have been much more uh, impactful
5: if we had seen a little bit more of a struggle with him. I think it's the problem with the writing of Ava Gardner's
4: character too
5: yeah because of the fact that she's so completely unlikable throughout yeah like she is nothing but irritating yep it's very hard to feel this like compelling and i'm agreeing with everything you're saying yeah but i think the problem is they painted themselves in a corner with the fact that every time she comes on the screen you want her like and she's supposed to i mean she's supposed to be that level of irritating right um she's an example of again earthquake go get her (laughs) right yeah but I think it would have been more compelling if there was some, like, you get to see that side of her, but we get to see another dimension to her. Yeah, exactly. We kind of start to see in the end, like, when yeah. when they're all, like, trapped in that area together, you get to see glimpses of it. Right. But I think it, it goes to the same problem you're talking about with Charlton Heston. You see those glimpses towards the end, and yeah. you I never really got, like, I agree, he did it because he somewhere inside him he manned up and made the decision to save this woman that he was responsible for right. not because he was torn over that piece it was yeah. kind of like and i would have i, I agree that like it would have been much more compelling to see some turmoil
1: yeah or was, even or even just uh,
5: <laughs> yeah or even just little things that like when they're
6: all trapped in the parking lot and, and they're helping people out you know if she just even even the littlest things just did something like help other people out rather than just stay there and you get to see a little bit of, of that side of her there you would have seen a much different i would have felt much more for her uh, when she fell into the water or have a scene with because both she and Genevieve v were actually in trapped in the same place have them interact
3: not, have knowing been, who what, they
6: are, not knowing who they are, who are the, Would would have been more satisfying
3: is. if he had saved her and then she thought, see, he does love me. And then he turned around and left with Jean-View Pusher. Would that have been a more satisfying ending?
2: <laughs> I could I, see that. I, yeah. I think it would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'd be pretty cold, but uh, it would be. But it would be, I think it would be interesting for sure.
3: See, now I'm, I'm a Charlton Heston fan. I like almost everything I've ever seen him in. Uh, and when we talked about the Towering Inferno, I'm pretty sure we got into the fact that The writers could take certain shortcuts because the actors were so, you know, so beyond just, you know, you just knew them immediately and you knew what they were, despite the fact that I think Charlton Heston is very charismatic. And I think he's he showed he showed over the years that he can act the hell out of a part sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he could also take a part that isn't written all that with all that much depth and kind of give it in his performance sometimes. Uh, I don't think he did that in this. I think this one felt like he was just kind of, you know, hitting his, hitting his mark and moving on. It didn't Mm -hmm. feel like he was really acting.
6: It it felt that way for most of the actors. Like I definitely felt that with Lauren Green. I felt that with Ava Gardner, Um, not so much with George Kennedy. I felt like he was sort of really, giving it his best but so many of them seem seem to be just going all right i'm getting a check so let me be in this ava gardner actually took the role because she wanted us to um to spend her summer that summer in la that's Mm -hmm. that's why she took the gig you know what i mean and so it's you're you're right Uh, you know i feel like in this like they they just sort of kind of just sort of walk their way through it
3: no i think there was some script issues with the fact that when i was reading up on this uh the first draft was written by mario puzo and from what i understand that they they varied very much off that first draft with what they ended up doing excuse me but one of the problems was that he got called away because he had to work on the godfather part two that's correct. so yeah. other people picked up the script and worked with it yeah so you didn't get that singular vision that, that you probably needed to make this a little bit more of a cohesive story. Right. And and I do think it, it suffered for that. Right. The right. Where
5: we
2: did I got whiplash
3: when I saw his name.
5: Oh,
2: sorry. No. The, no, I was saying I got whiplash when I saw Mario Puzo's name. I was, I couldn't believe it.
6: I don't know what the situation was, but when Mario, uh, when they, when they brought in a replacement, Writer. It was a guy named George Fox, and George, this is his only screenwriting credit. And George Fox essentially was just a magazine writer, so <laughs> I don't, I don't know how, I don't know the backstory of that anyway. But that's just the facts of those two things. So um I, I don't know. I would imagine Puzo probably wrote it with a lot more gravitas in it and a lot more I character so development. Too, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, was, according to Wikipedia the source of all information. Uh, it said, uh, Puzo's detailed and expansive script would have necessitated a larger production budget as the action and multiple story arcs was spread over a vast geographical area in Los Angeles. Universal was faced with either cutting the script or increasing the projected budget. What do you think they chose? <laughs> you know, Yeah, that's... gee, I wonder what. And you know what? From their perspective, I guess this was fine because this was a huge moneymaker for them. Yes.
5: It's funny we were talking before about Charlton that Heston showing like agony (laughs) decision with the relationships. We we did get to see that out of him, but it was about the job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, probably the mo- I, mean, I thought that was probably the most compelling portrayal was the fact that he was agonized over the fact that he was given this job as a president, which was going to take him away from his side trip he was planning for his affair. Right. He was very agonized over that. Then he added in the layer of the ego piece of, are you giving me this because you believe in me mm-hmm. or because of the fact that you're trying to control me with your daughter? And mm-hmm. did she <clears throat> push you to do this? That part was, I thought, one of far more compelling than, like, the turmoil between them. I actually was very intrigued by that a
4: little bit. Yeah. Wasn't there a similar dynamic in um, The Towering Inferno? The, fa- the powerful father who gave the protagonist some level of power or influence or something.
3: The powerful father gave the architect <clears throat> who, who, right. Who, who, right. who undercut the budget on him.
4: That so, was it. So he
3: screwed him over, even though the the, the father it was uh, William Holden. I think was Su- Susan Blakely's father. Right. That and was she it. was married to Richard Chamberlain, who screwed him over.
4: Right. Yeah. There's, there's somebody's got a chip on their shoulder about you know guys who about uh, rich dads. Rich dads, <laughs> yeah. Rich
6: dad complex.
4: You're not my real rich dad.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's uh. I guess I guess that that's a uh, a formula thing that I hadn't even considered there. Yeah. Um, just to, one of the biggest wastes in this movie, and and I found it bothersome when it was on the screen, <clears throat> was one one of my favorite actors, Walter Matthau was played the fool I, in this movie. Oh, it
4: was beautiful. It was like Bill Murray in Zombieland. It was perfect. Oh, Bill
3: Murray in Zombieland was great. Walter Matthau in this was painful to watch. It, Really? I, I mean, It's funny. I like. I actually. And, and wait,
5: that's ever. We all have our own opinions. I actually, I actually found him to be great. He was one of the more likable characters.
3: <laughs> yeah teach their own. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, just to, the comparison. I, thought, I thought Bill Murray and Zombie Land was brilliant. That mm-hmm. scene, that scene stood out above the whole movie to me. Um, whereas Walter Matthau, like I said, I cringed a little bit every time he was on the screen here. Right. And from what I understand, he thought he was doing a cameo that it was going to be in one scene, and that was it. And they took what he did, and they cut it the and spread it out through the movie.
4: All right, well then, that's, yeah.
3: But that's, you know, I, that's that's what I understand. That could be apocryphal. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I am not a fan I don't think I ever have been a fan and I don't think I ever will be a fan of uh, any performance by Marjo Gortner um, here. I, here. Did, I didn't like him in this movie. I don't like him in anything I've ever seen <clears throat> in him. Uh, and. and the, the thing about it was you weren't supposed to like him ultimately, so he kind of got a fitting end as far as that goes.
4: Right. But he's got a punchable face.
3: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> let's just
4: let's just. Let's just call a spade a spade i mean it's it is, it is what it is. I mean you look at him and it's like yeah nah i, I just want to punch him he and he was he was famous for a minute at that particular time in the seventies i mean he was a apparently he was a um, uh an evangelical preacher at like you know two and um they made a documentary about him, and from that documentary suddenly he made a film career so it was just a really
3: weird yeah he's just a weird type yeah that's i think that's the thing i they set him up as somebody who was being bullied who got his revenge mm-hmm. and then went over the deep end and did what he did and ended up getting killed but before when he got bullied that's when they need to make they needed to make him somebody you would root for yeah, and and they really didn't. They started right out with the scene with him trying to get the uh, the Harry Krishnas thrown out in front of from in front of his supermarket, uh, and having to I, be told. I don't think, think they to tried to
4: make him likable at all. I think they. But they that's would, what I'm saying.
3: They didn't. They, they should. Yeah. not they didn't.
4: I don't know why. Why it, it's you had, he, it, that was a nice little side story. His his side story I thought was one of the most interesting parts of the film, because he was such a creeping menace. That was, you know, you have this great giant monster of an earthquake coming and he's just endemic of what's going on on street level when a disaster like this happens. No, I, I, I thought
2: think, was... I think the movie maybe would have been better had you kept it as it was and you had a more black and white hero. Like, I think you, I like the greys of all the stories. Okay. And I think if you had a real central, <clears throat> just clear-cut hero it probably would have leveled out the rest of the movie
4: I one of the reasons why it misses that is because i think it's occurring to me that this is the the mid-1970s yeah. or it's 74 right yeah so it's it's like in an area that doesn't know what it wants to be here's mm-hmm. this big hollywood spectacle right. right in the middle of of oh. dirty gritty you know independent um film school graduate filmmaking so i i think that the adult cinema of the time and when i say adult cinema i mean for adults um tried to make these complex characters that would work in any other film but you stick them in a big spectacle movie yeah suddenly to josh's point, it's like jesus christ okay it's nice for these background characters but give me a hero yeah
3: you could have your ensemble but in the ensemble, you need to have your point of view character in there yeah. who's going who's to be your hero. And they didn't give you that. I right. guess, theoretically, Charlton Heston is that. But yeah. I don't think he I don't think they wrote him as your point of view hero.
4: No,
6: I mean, your, your point of view character has to lead you into the story. You know, uh, and it can be an unlikely person, you know, um, but but there was no one. Everyone was already already in the up and running in the story so there was no in there was no on-ramp for us as an audience to get into other than to just sort of fly along with it so yes josh is right there should be some kind of so I, pers- que- I have a is question right. for the group i love hearing that by the way
2: um <laughs> i have so a rare. question for the group it is it is um not that i'm right just that i hear it um no so a question for the group you know when you see movements of movies uh whether it's superhero movies now or monster movies or it it usually has some sort of parallel to something either happening in hollywood or in the world and i'm curious what you guys think what was going on that audiences were drawn to these disaster movies
3: see i i think there was we we talked about I think we talked about it mostly when we did airport, how it was kind of old Hollywood transferring over to, to new Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that airport was like one of the last gasps at that, you know, star filled spectacle, you know, or, or I mean, it's Earl Allen in this who, who uh who, you know, the Cecil B. DeMille type thing. Uh, and then I, I think that was a big hit. So while, while the landscape of filmmaking was changing, you know, you were getting the, the the new group with you know Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas and you know Steven Spielberg soon to come and all of that. Uh, you know, there was still an element of well, give me that old thing, and I think they gave us that to some extent in the Poseidon Adventure, and they gave us that in the Towering Inferno, mm-hmm. and I think this one might might be the victim of wanting to straddle both lines, mm-hmm. to 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 want to give you that spectacle star-laden ensemble film but also kind of give you the you know the murky oh this guy's an anti-hero type thing you know it's it's you know the ensemble and your hero is travis bickle you know that kind of thing <laughs> so so yeah, I, you know that'd I, be I cool think was actually element, <laughs> i think there was an element of confusion in the writing like they they just kind of didn't know where they were going to go with it
1: objectively
3: yeah.
5: like one of the things that came up from at least both of you in, in the early conversations about it was the sense around experience being at the theater. I will say in watching this, I enjoyed watching it in both viewings. I, I I was drawn to the even though I hate like I wanted to see bad things happen to these people. I was I was actually drawn to their stories. And, you know, even though they're horrible people, they, they kept me in, entertained. But I will say what I watch it on my big TV at home. I wish I was in a theater. I, oh, the yeah. sense around piece that you were you're reminiscing about, I've never experienced it. So I would have loved. This is an example of a movie that I think was geared towards the technology that was available at the time, the experience of being in the theater and seeing it there, mm. and and not. How would they have known that we would be doing what we're doing right now, where now you're trying to sort of recreate that at home. Yeah, and you can't truly um, I'm jealous of you guys having the sense around experience just because <laughs> I, I mean, it, it just in the sense that I would have loved to experience this the way that it was intended mm-hmm. um, with with those little elements to it. But
4: um, it, well, I it, didn't I didn't have that experience. My I uh, my only sense around film was Midway. Mm. I didn't see Earthquake until it was on like the ABC Sunday night movie on the Magnavox. Um, and tried the uh, stereo sense around thing. So uh, this past time watching, it was the first time I think I actually watched it in sense around.
5: Did you guys ever see a movie called Gorilla at Large?
3: I've heard of it, haven't seen.
4: It. I know it. I've yeah, I've never actually seen it. Was that a Bowery Boys movie? Let's just say it's a Rich Brothers or. So I, I don't know the
5: answer to that. Being perfectly <laughs>
6: honest, but, <laughs> but here's, it's Rich Brothers. Rich, but I will
3: I will no, take Josh's role here.
5: Here's here's where here's where the connection is and what I was going for with this. You were mentioning the home experience of like pulling in radios and things like that to recreate sense around. Grill at Large was a 3D movie where you had to go to like 7-Eleven and get the 3D glasses and and try to watch that experience at home on TV. It wasn't that it was a good 3D movie. It's nothing about that. It was the novelty mm-hmm. of being able to do that at home. And I was like geeking out as you were talking about the things you were doing in your home to set that up, to try and recreate sense around in your Mm. house. Um, Just because there's something to that, right? The novelty of that experience that like you don't do anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're not doing, I'm not pulling radio into my, I will say if that had been an option when I was watching this, if there was a way that I could have done that, I would have pulled my radio into the room (laughs) Um, just, just to, do that little novelty experience of experiencing this film on, on the like cheap version of trying to do sense around just to say that I did. And that would have probably increased my
3: enjoyment somewhat too. (laughs) There, there, There is an element of just, okay, this is something new and different and I want to try it out. Uh, gorilla at large, by the way, was in 1954. I, I was with Rob that I thought it was a Ritz brothers movie that was older than that. Apparently it's not. It's a horror mystery film starring Cameron Mitchell and Bancroft, Lee J. Cobb, and Raymond Burr. Oh my God. With Lee Marvin and Warren Stevens in supporting roles. Um, and it was in 3d uh, apparently. Um, so that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, but, you know, there was I remember as a young moviegoer or, you know, not even a young as as a uh, adolescent, late teens, whatever. Um, I was fascinated by the idea of a 3D movie because they, you know, they kind of had given up that particular thing. <clears throat> and I remember the movie Coming At You came out. Right. I remember and that. I went to see it because it was the first opportunity I ever had to see a 3D movie. And boy, did it suck. Oh, yeah.
4: But then there was a renaissance after that for a couple of years. They yeah. released, they re-released all the old ones, and um, they made a couple of them. I think Charles Band did Parasite in 3D, which is best watched Stone.
3: <laughs>
4: there was Jaws 3D, which is there was Jaws 3D, god
3: awful,
4: delightfully so.
3: I I find actually, and you know, just because of the ratings for this particular show, I find Jaws four to be much more amusing to watch in its badness than Jaws three.
4: Don't think (laughs) I've ever seen Jaws four.
3: If you if you watch it as the so bad that it's funny kind of way, it's it's can be enjoyable. Yeah.
6: So I wanted to actually go back to what Josh it's Josh was talking about because there there is a, you know, he was talking about how different eras have different trends of movies. And this is an era of the disaster movie. And for me, I strongly believe it comes from the era of the late 60s and early 70s when – because let's say when the uh, when the Hindenburg fell, okay, when the Hindenburg crashed. Um, these are big, gigantic film cameras that had to be cranked in order for you to actually then be developed, and you wouldn't see that footage for days on end. Um when there were like earthquakes in South America and there were um, plane crashes and things like that, at uh, the late sixties and early seventies, we were seeing those things live on television because of the advent of video, and I think that's sort of what was in in terms of in terms of um, the kind of thing an audience can latch onto. They were starting to get used to these types of disasters in real life, so this was the kind of thing where someone like Irwin Allen or the guys who made Earthquake would uh, capitalize on. And, uh, you know, so that's that was sort of that trend of that time, you know, until we we sort of got kind of got used to it and sort of uh, uh, callous to seeing things on, on live video or live television, that that sort of kind of went away. But that was a big deal back then. But
3: there, there was some element of it because, I, I you know, I became fascinated again in hindsight with the disaster movies, which is why I started. Wanting to people to come on and do these, right, right. Uh, but if you look into the '80s and the '90s, I mean, occasionally there there's other disaster movies that came around. Oh, you know, sure. Th- things like Armageddon and Meteor yeah. and you know whatever else mm-hmm. might come up over the years. So you know, it it the, the genre didn't totally fade away after the oh,
6: '70s. Oh no, not at all. It it just it just wasn't that sort of um, disaster du jour, you know, like you know like when Killer Bees were a big thing. Then the movie, suddenly the movie Swarm was out, you know, with Michael Caine. You know, it was that sort of thing that sort of just capitalized on whatever the disaster was at that moment.
4: I kind of thought that the uh, popularity of the disaster movie was kind of, um, you know, on our show, we point out how horror movies are pretty much a mirror of of society. Uh, I think the disaster movies were popular because it was right smack in the middle of like the Nixon Ford era. And everything seemed to be falling apart and institutions were collapsing and things that we had faith in were falling apart. So the idea of just shit going tits up, you know, was something in the psyche uh, collectively at the time that uh, people felt for a short period that they were exercising by watching this on on the big screen. And that's my pedantic film school uh, uh, film student rant.
3: I, I don't think you're wrong about that, because I do think in, in the early 70s, you know, when when the whole Watergate scandal came down uh, before that, I think there was an element of the president is the president. And you don't criticize him under any circumstances and you don't disbelieve anything he says. And you're the back
4: of the head.
3: And, and, and you, you don't think of him as even human. He's a bet. He's right. better. He's, you know, he's a deity. He's the president of the United States. Right. And I do think there was a lot of that thought process. Uh, and then, you know, from the early seventies on, you know, all of a sudden it was like, okay, everybody can fail. Everybody's human. Uh, so, you know, so it, it there is, a, I think a mirror to what was going on in society because, the disaster movies that we're seeing as we're progressing through this have changed in tone a lot. I mean, Airport is a lot different from this. And I and I do think it's a reflection of that society. So I think you have a good, very good point there, Joe. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we should just close it out there. That's where you drop the microphone and we leave, right? <laughs>
5: uh, <laughs> you know who wound up being kind of a good guy in this one? Richard Roundtree. As Miles yes. and I, I say kind of a good guy, he was doing the whole stunt sequence and all that. And I actually really like the fact that when it like went wrong for him, I mean, the first time around, he got back on it right away because, you know, like if you if you don't, your fear is going to take over and you're not going to be I got into that whole beat. But then when his whole thing collapsed, there's an opportunity for that guy to completely fall apart. Right. Right. Um, when the disaster's going on, he actually did some heroic things, trying to help people at that yeah. point in time. If anybody, I mean, if anybody kind of stepped up, it was him. I don't think he was an overly bad guy. He's not an overly likable guy. It's
4: he's a- Richard fucking Roundtree, the man. Shift.
5: Is, I'm the a shift, group, but we haven't talked about him. And um, it's it's, it's, it's,
4: a, it's yeah. yeah, he's gonna get up from that and 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 do whatever he's got to do. You Richard fucking Roundtree.
3: Not only is he Shaft, but Evil Knievel could not have been a bigger star than he was at the time this came out. Yeah, so for him yeah, to be yeah. Shaft and Evil Knievel wrapped into one, right? You know, he he's a guy you didn't have to really give him much character development. Right. You just kind of felt you knew who he was. Evil Knievel.
6: Well, that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's what I was lucky about in terms of the story being the story being structured, um, having the the earthquake come and smack in the middle of it. Because in the beginning, he's obsessed with getting this track and getting this stunt right and getting people to see it, Um, you know, uh, and 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 the same thing happens with Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston has a certain business that he's got to do. And Lauren Green is the same thing. And the earthquake systematically takes all the things away that they're actually obsessed with and leaves them with the people that they're supposed to be. You know, and so. It's not that well written out, but that's kind of what the structure of the, st- the characters are.
3: So, so if, if I'm extrapolating on what yeah. you're saying, what the earthquake does is it takes away all of that veneer <clears throat> and right. shows us what they really are. Right. And deep down inside, almost all of them are bad guys. Yes, right. 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 That's what I'm saying. That's, not- that's, that's what we're getting.
6: Yeah, it's not as well written as I'm saying it is, but that's sort of the structure of what's going on. If you if you could if you could interpret that from what I I think you can, can. that's actually there.
3: I think you can. I think, you know, and, and, you know, (laughs) I'm going to say, I think the one who most exemplifies that is probably Marjo Gordon. Yeah, right. Because when you strip away his whole thing, then he becomes a rapist yeah this you know? yeah because that's it the, the, the he goes from being the victim back, to the victimizer
6: right because I mm-hmm. think that was holding back he his life was changed his life was a, a grocery clerk now we knew what his past life was probably because he was you know either in, in the military or, or or wanting to be in the military and and just stockpiling guns or whatever but yes yeah, in so, the national guard wasn't he wasn't he national activated
4: guard. yeah yes. so yeah.
6: yeah right but like i think he was he had more of i, I think he had more of a a, a sort of um a, a weird military fantasy in the back of his head. Well
4: he did, but I I, I kind of took it as he he got in the National Guard because he couldn't get in the real military, which right. you know I know is not the right way of you know anyone in the National Guard will probably kick my ass for saying that, but right. um just saying he seemed like the kind of guy who fantasized about going into Vietnam and as a member of the Special Forces or something, right. and they were just like nah nah just here right. be a policeman.
3: No, I think, he, you know, it's obviously (laughs) it's an an anachronism to try and put it this way. But he dreamed of being Rambo in Vietnam.
4: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. exactly. And he
3: was he was denied that for whatever reason, whatever backstory you want to write for him. He was denied that. So that now he's got no constraints. He's with the National Guard and he can do whatever he wants. And that's why he kills those guys. And there is absolutely no ramification to it. The mm-hmm. people who were under him in, in the National Guard just accept it. Yeah. Yep. And, and then he, he takes her off. And until he's confronted by people with a higher sense of right and wrong, right, George Kennedy and Charlton Heston, he's going to get even away the other, with
6: it. Yeah, even the other guards.
3: The other guards were letting him get away with it.
6: Well, yeah, but at one point they were like, oh, I, you know what? We got to go. We got to go talk to the, our, his superior about this.
3: You know, instead of stopping him ourselves, right?
6: I don't, I don't think it worked. But sure. Uh, again, you know, it could have been strong, way more strongly written than that, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I always think there's a great line when I think of Marjorie Gertner's character. There's a great line in the movie Stripes, actually, with that character, Psycho. And there's a moment where there's all this mayhem going on. And and somebody goes, hey, what's going on? And Psycho goes, I don't know. But all I know is I finally get to kill someone.
3: Yeah. yeah, And to
6: me, that's that's kind of what his character boils down to. You know, that's that's what it is. He's like, you know, I I finally get to I finally get to use my gun or I finally get to, you know, like those guys, those guys, those bullied him. You know, he he, he have to
5: like mow him down. But that's it. Finally gets to kill someone. He also thrived on society's collapse because the creepy moments with Victoria Principal's character. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it was to what uh, Joe was saying earlier about structures and things like that. I mean, we had the looting and things. I mean, they got progressively worse as they were going on, and he was a great example of that. Yes, he. I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. He finally, got to shoot the gun and and those pieces, but that wasn't enough for him. It was we had to take it one step further with Victoria Principal.
3: But it's it's the same progression if you take his character in the beginning of the movie or earlier in the movie he wants victoria principal but he can't have her and he wants to take out these guys but he's society prevents him from doing it now society is collapsing so he kills the guys he wants to and he is ready to rape her because there's nothing to stop him
6: right he's liberated of all those restraints
3: Mm -hmm. yeah um can we talk for a moment about
4: Victoria Principal's fro?
3: (laughs) Sure, you go.
6: Joe, thank God you said fro, because uh, I was expecting something else from you. Well,
4: the boobs are the obvious thing.
6: Well, there you go. Anyway, let's talk about the fro.
4: (laughs) Yeah, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, all I can say is just that is, it's like I I expect her to fall down you know it looks like it's too heavy for her
3: there were people who had that hair she looks like a microphone with a
4: windscreen on it
3: it just doesn't look natural on her it
2: looks like no. no while we're talking about people's looks I'd love to bring this up I know you're all gonna get this and Sean we just met but looking at the action figures in the background I think you're gonna get this was I the only one who thought Richard Roundtree looked exactly like Black Vulcan from Super Friends? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, he's literally from head to toe rejection. dressed I exactly that. like Black Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually have a Black Vulcan there? I saw, like, the rest of them.
3: Well, Black Vulcan no there's, no a a based based there's
2: a bad on...
3: cave. Okay. he's in the bad cave. Wonderful. Black I love that. Black Lightning,
6: actually. Yeah, also very similar to Black Lightning.
3: Well, it's, it, that's who his character is yeah. based on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and I would think that that would be a possibility on Sean's show. <laughs> but anyway. Uh,
4: Sean, the fact that you have I a back game with uh, Black and Falcon, Sean. we are now... Look at Sean's action figures.
6: I know, I've been doing the exact same thing.
4: <laughs> Don't mind me. We have a new best friend.
3: <laughs> uh, see, see now, now, now you make me sad that this is not a video podcast, because if, if, if anybody, if anybody oh. listening... Oh, I I jam- Joe, okay. Joe was putting his face right up to the camera, and we just had a huge <laughs> close-up of his eye, uh, which was He's very. He's being amusing. very
4: polite. I was actually putting my ass up to the camera, he he <laughs> and
3: was we was saw talking. his other eye.
4: Oh, hey <laughs> now. Uh, okay. <laughs> we, so we were having a on podcast on. with five guys. No, we would say the same thing with Sonia. Yeah,
6: actually, Sonia. She probably, would have said, yeah. yeah. She would have probably said that first.
4: Yeah.
3: So is there is there any character that we missed out on here that we should focus on just as as a real quick i thought having uh the mayor be uh John Randolph and then having uh what's his name Lloyd Nolan as the doctor yeah. very small parts but they are but to they me people who automatically kind of yeah. you you put them in an authoritative you know position and you just say yeah okay i got it right mm-hmm. um yeah. who else do we have in here anybody of note I well, was
4: like, I don't think we've talked at all about the motivation of the earthquake itself.
3: Well, it, it, the the motivation is it's the biggest wow. earthquake ever. That, that was because uh, they said scientifically obvious. it would have been the biggest earthquake ever recorded. And
6: okay. the longest, by the way, I think it was nine minutes of earthquake on screen.
4: Worked, I, you know, I lived in L.A. for 11 years. Yeah. And my first earthquake when, when I discovered it was actually an earthquake I was experiencing, I really thought it was going to be like this yeah. kind of experience where like you know, the streets crack open and people fall into their deaths like Indiana Jones and the, and the Last Crusade. And it's uh, knock on wood, it wasn't like that.
6: The, I experienced earthquakes out in California twice, and I didn't notice it because <laughs> I live in New York. My brain thought it was the subway. Oh, and 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 I had people running. Oh, did you feel that? Did you feel it? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I realized, oh, that I'm not New York, because you just used to. If you're in the city and the subway goes underneath you, it feels the same way.
3: Well, we did have that one minor New York earthquake about eleven years ago. Yes, so we did. Yep. And uh, I remember that. And it was, it was, was a pretty it was yeah. a pretty surreal experience. Yeah. And it was not, you know, a <laughs> it's not not something you're going to make a movie about. But it was still right. pretty surreal.
2: I remember so. playing outside and everybody was like, did you feel that? And I was like, no, I was just running around. <laughs> Didn't feel anything. But I distinctly remember everyone being like, oh, earthquake. And I was like, shit, I missed it. I was like <laughs> a little disappointed. I was like, I was expecting it to shake and plates to fall down. And
3: Well, the interesting thing is that Sense caused that when i read yeah. on that mm-hmm. uh the the scent, when they first started practice or started experimenting with sense around one of the places they did it was in grumman's chinese theater <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> excuse me and uh as a result of doing it they said that the plaster in the ceiling started to crack mm-hmm. and there was plaster coming down uh and then so that you know it was like okay that that's not going to work uh, <laughs> but apparently it would have been when they released the movie for real that was one of the theaters they showed it in. And all they did was put netting up so that if any plaster fell, it wouldn't, you know, get anybody. They would, I guess they would just get dust. That,
4: um, William Castle wouldn't have, would have loved an effect like that.
6: Yeah.
3: There, there was also, uh, apparently like a, uh, in, in Manhattan, there was a, uh, souvenir shop next to a theater where like their entire, uh, inventory was destroyed by sets around. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it, it, around was definitely a, you know, something where it was like, well, I got to see, I, you know, not see, but I have to experience this. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, when I went to uh, Universal Studios in Florida for the first time in 19, I'm going to say 92, mm-hmm. they had the earthquake exhibit there. I remember uh, and, that, yeah. And they would pull people off the line. I, and for whatever reason, in that trip, I kept, I kept getting pulled off the line for stuff. Uh, when we were waiting on line for earthquake, I got pulled on line to be a stunt extra, which meant I got to be a guy who was throwing styrofoam bricks at the other people. Uh, <laughs> but it, but it, you know, the, the, the ride was actually a little bit more engaging uh, as far as the, the feel of the earthquake than you know right. the sense around was. There
4: was the one with the there was the one with the, the the train that derails, right? Yeah, yeah. that was fun.
3: On, on the same same trip to Uni- to Universal Studios, I got pulled off the line uh, at the Psycho exhibit, uh, and I got to play uh, Norman Bates in the shower scene.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got I got roped into that one too.
3: So that was like I said that was that was fun because I kept getting pulled off the line to do stuff, which just made it all that much more exciting. <laughs> uh, so we have a score here by. Who's this guy, John Williams?
6: John Williams, I, yeah, it's the first time I heard of him.
3: Now he also did the Poseidon Adventure. He also did and the, the Towering, Towering Inferno. Inferno, yeah. Because he was
4: he was a um, an Irwin Allen guy.
3: Yeah, but this this is not an Irwin Allen. Yeah, this is not. Yeah, this is not an Irwin Allen joint. Uh, sure. but he, I guess at this point he was being linked to well, because, uh, the, yeah. the, the, these movies, yeah, and they because, said I I don't know enough about music to know. But they said there was a lot of similarities between this and the uh, Towering Inferno soundtrack. Um, sure. uh, yeah. Some s- yeah. similar progressions of music in different keys. Right.
6: Because up until Jaws, he was the disaster guy. He was the guy they would get for disaster movies,
3: or the science fiction guy for TV shows.
6: Yeah, exactly. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. So uh, I think in a lot of ways, Jaws is the thing that made him the person who he is. He was able to break away from that sort of. Uh, that stigma of just making disaster movies
3: well i mean the Poseidon adventure i think is a particularly excellent soundtrack it's great uh score rather yeah uh the other one of that era that i would point to and i do point to frequently because i just love it is the cowboys with john wayne mm. i i am a big fan of that particular score so you know he did he did have some varied things because that was a western which was different but I, I you know over the years listening to john williams stuff i think he does adventure very well oh yeah my favorite part you know you you can go to the jaws theme and you know the dun 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 dun, dun right. and how how haunting that could be but my favorite part of that particular score is when they first go out to sea and he he changes the tone to make it an adventure score
6: yeah mm-hmm. it's wonderful it's really wonderful yeah
3: So I recently watched uh, on TV. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it, but I recently watched one of his concerts, which is just fascinating to watch and just so much fun with the, you know, all the the themes that you recognize. Yeah. Had the pleasure of seeing him at the Hollywood Bowl one year. That was cool. That's amazing. I had mentioned to my two kids when we were at Universal, and I had pointed out to them that he did the theme for Jaws, and he did the theme for Raiders, and he did the theme for Superman, and he did the theme for Jurassic Park, and he did the theme for Harry Potter. And I said, and he does these concerts, and both of them were like, we'll go. No question. If he's in New York, we will go and see him. So, unfortunately, he hasn't, and at this point, I don't know if he's even doing any of these tours anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I believe I mean, he's I, he's right about 90 now. I was so. going to say, it's
6: like, I think he's 90 now, yeah, so
3: unfortunately i don't know that that's something to watch um anything else about it that stands out to you guys
6: i want to I, I, just something that made me laugh actually watching it this time out because i never really thought about it but not so much walter Mathow's character but in the aftermath if you see him in the you can actually see him in the background doing like like dancing a little jig or something in a drunken jig and it's clear that they they, he had rapped by the time they shot this because it's clearly somebody else with the big purple pimp hat on and the polka dot shirt. and It's clearly not him because there are times he actually turns around and I'm like, wait a minute, did someone steal Walter Matthau's clothes? Like, what is be you know, like what is he? And I just remember, we watched this the other Josh and I watched this the other day, and I just remember like chuckling at that because it was just so ludicrous.
3: Well, my understanding is they only had him for one day. Yeah.
6: He was a friend uh, of he was a friend of the
3: director actually. Yeah, well, and, in fact, um, let's talk about the ger- yeah. director a little bit. Yeah. Because uh, I looked, you know, I looked him up. I'm not, fam- I wasn't familiar with the name Mark Robson, mm-hmm. but he directed Champion with Kirk Douglas. He oh my directed god. Directed Von Ryan's Express, uh, and he was an assistant editor to Robert Wise on Citizen Kane. Oh wow. I so I was unfamiliar with him until. I looked this up and right. certainly those, those are three movies that I would say, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, but you know, his, I, I really tried after the fact, cause I couldn't put it together while I was watching it. Tried after the fact to try and say, you know, what did I think of the directing in here? And I think he did a good job with the structure, you know, again, with the before and the after, I think he distribute distributed, the time for each of the ensemble pretty well that you felt like you got enough you know for what it was worth of each
6: yeah which Um, is not it's not an easy thing to do when you have an ensemble that big to sort of give everyone equal time or at least a, a satisfying amount of time
3: but what i what i could point to as the negative and i don't know how much i can point to it as this but what i could point to as the negative is one of the things that i Hold a director to is to pull the good performance out of somebody, mm-hmm. and i don't think he got great performances out of too many of the actors but i wonder because the budget is was what it was which was about seven million at the time and uh you know that they, they apparently didn't want to, you know universal didn't want to go above that i wonder if he had time constraints where it was like you know i got to just take this as it is and i can't do 20 takes of it until i get the take i like
6: oh i'm sure a movie that big you probably your time is restricted
3: i criticize that's a
6: huge huge movie particularly uh, at that time
3: i criticize george lucas a lot for not getting the best performances out of people because Mm -hmm. i feel like he's more concerned with did they hit their mark and can we work the the, Mm -hmm. you know the cgi around that yeah Uh, But, you know, you you need the good performances that he got, I think, are the people who gave good performances on their own. I don't think he pulled them out of the people. And I feel like the same is true here. Um, You know, you you weren't going to get the Stanley Kubrick. We're going to film this 250 times until 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 your gums are bleeding, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, until I get the the take I want. Uh, And and you didn't have the Alfred Hitchcock. You're going to do this exactly the way I want and not deviate the slightest bit right um you had you know he he had big names he had to kind of let them play it the way they wanted to i think and he didn't have the time or the budget to keep retaking it so that is my criticism of the directing but it's also the excuse for that criticism
5: right right that makes sense i think with the directing the one thing i will say that he did do well and this is i'm nodding as you're saying everything you're saying is the sense the increasing sense of danger i will say if in a disaster movie like this one of the things you do need is this sense that as the movie's progressing and i like that they didn't take the cheap ending of like everyone's going to be okay at the end or a vast majority of the people are okay. they have that claustrophobic sequence at the end where there's like drilling the hole to get to underground where everybody is and it was very tight very this feeling of there's you're drilling this hole into this vast underground area and you just know by looking at it, how are they going to get everybody out? And they don't. Yeah. And I thought that was something – there's there's a lot about this film where I'm like, oh, uh, you know, where they're and things like that. I thought that was intriguing and an interesting choice because I guess I'm very used to the happy ending or, you know, you're kind of got like all of your main characters getting out. And that – which is common with a lot of these disaster films – but that sense of that, like looking through this hole and knowing that you're going to be able to pull, I don't know. I wasn't intending on these hearts. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see this, but I, on Skype, because of the fact that I was putting my hands in such a way that look like, oh, oh, did you just read it? I go all over the place. That yes.
6: Worked, wait, wait. Is that really
5: worked? thematically appropriate. No, just... what I'm saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Joe's, Joe's got the right tone right now <laughs> with what I'm going for. But, I actually liked that sense of danger at the end. It just yeah. felt very realistic and very intriguing with what was right. going on there. Um, with everything we can say that's true about the performances, that was the part that I re- that part I found engaging. It, yeah. was, it was the start of the movie was the earthquake. <laughs>
3: I'll, I'll give you. Well, yeah. I'll give you that that sense of danger too. When after the earthquake, after the major earthquake, before the aftershocks come, when they're in you know, all trying to meet safely and get treatment or whatever in the garage area, you don't feel like they're safe there. Yeah. So I'll give you that. I, I think there is a sense of claustrophobia. There is a sense of if this goes down again, we're not getting out of this alive. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that was all kind of well put together. Yeah. And I do think we have to give Robson credit for that.
6: Yeah. And there's actually a really cool scene where Charlton Heston gets trapped just on the floor below. Lauren Green and all those people, and it's, it's a really tense scene of them having to lower an office chair with a bunch of people down, you know, uh, uh, f- from the um, from the floor
3: above.
4: But Very you knew safe. The scene in uh, the Towering Inferno yeah. where you've got yeah. people in the chair. But you yeah, know they exactly.
3: were safe because they used pantyhose to tie them into the chair. I know. That was was it a
6: weird thing? Was it kind of odd because it was just like you're like, we're going to need everyone's pantyhose right now. I'm like,
3: okay. <laughs> I I think we we've hit the point where we got to give our ratings on the movie and I'm going to take the ball first here. Uh, I wanted to love this. I really did. Uh, But having it follow three, what I consider to be well above average Mm -hmm. uh, disaster movies, it made me see the flaws in this one even more as I watched it. Uh, Also, you know, the, the lack of, 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 uh, the, the, you know, the sense around uh, took away some of the spectacle for me. So I really kind of, you know, I got to land on a Jaws 3 on this one. I'm not, you know, <laughs> it, it was okay. I'm glad I watched it. But if I never see this again, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> I'm
6: going uh, to, I, I think I'm going to give it a Jaws 3 up until the point uh, where that phony shark comes up. Because that... Uh, if that makes sense, because then it's not those three for me uh, there. So so the first half of Jaws 3, I'll give it the well, first half of Jaws
3: 3. Just just to remind everybody, yes. the ratings aren't necessarily in line with the movies themselves. <laughs> right. Okay? Jo- oh, yeah, I know. For, for our rating scale, and I'll just give a reminder to anybody listening, if you're rating it Jaws, you're saying it's a great movie, an all-time classic. If you're rating it as Jaws 2, you're saying it was a really, really good movie worthy of multiple viewings, uh, but not just not quite at that classic level. Jaws 3 is... You know, it was okay. I watched it. You know, I was entertained to some extent, but you know, that's about it. And Jaws four is it was bad. So, back to you.
4: Jaws (laughs) three. I don't know. For me, it was kind of a Jaws two. It was. I mean, it's not Jaws. I mean, Jaws is Jaws, but um, for uh, an now, Eric, you know what? Jaws two point (laughs)
1: five.
4: Fair enough.
2: I'm glad you gave me the recap of the rating system because I've only seen half of Jaws 2. I've obviously seen Jaws. We've seen Jaws together. Did we did we go to the movies together?
3: No, to I couldn't that? make it that night.
2: Right. Okay. Um but uh I've seen Jaws a number of times and I I haven't seen 3 or 4. <clears> but <throat> given that rating system, I'm going to put this between 2 and 3. So I think it's I think it's a little better than a Jaws 3 rating. But it's not quite. I'm going to keep coming back to this. I would like to rewatch it at some point, but it's not one I'm I'm itching to rewatch.
3: So you're giving it a high Jaws three.
2: I'm giving it a high Jaws three.
5: Yeah. I'm actually very much in that same camp of high Jaws. <laughs> um, I this was my first two viewings of this. The first viewing of it, I was I was really engaged. Um, it's it's a film I'd recommend to people to watch. Like if you have not seen it, I think you should. It's an interesting film. Um, there's, it's something, you know, from a, a, if you're a film fan, you should see this. Um, but is this one that I'm going to watch over and over again? No, but on the other hand, if I'm with people and they want to watch it, I'm not going to sit and go, I don't want to see that again. Um, I enjoyed my experience with this and, and I, I do think I'll watch it again at some point. I'm not in a mad rush to do it. Um, but I'm glad I watched it um mm. and that's that's the key you know it's was this a good use of my time yeah it was i liked it <laughs> so i i do wish i will say i'm jealous for some of you that had the experience of being able to pull radios in and or or go see it in the theater with that intended experience of it yeah that sounds amazing that, that's that's something where i i wish i could go to some place that had replicated that and have seen it that way that and that i would do in an instant still Even though I've seen it now, I would love to see it in the theater the way that it was intended.
3: Well, if you really, really want to do as well as you can with that, I'd say you, uh, you know, if you have a good surround sound system and you pump up the bass part of it as high as you can, you probably kind of recreate what we had. You're you're, you're muted, Rob.
6: I will say that if you ask the nine-year-old me who saw it walking out of the theater with my dad and having a great time watching in on, I would have given it a Jaws
3: <laughs> I probably would have at that point so. <laughs> yeah so okay well I want to thank you guys for coming on uh, I really appreciate you making the time this is not easy to find a time when we're all the available schedule, Yeah. Uh, but it's you know everybody makes an effort and I appreciate that yeah.
6: well thank you for having us so it's always a fun time here now
3: well I'm looking forward to the next time uh, sure. you guys come on uh but in the meanwhile, uh everybody, especially if you have any interest in horror movies, should be seeking out Stabby Road, uh, their podcast, which they're a little different from us. They do seasons. We just keep going. Uh <laughs> but but it it is We're about to wrap some, up our next season. There's been some excellent, excellent episodes. Uh and much like us, there is a, a bit of stream of consciousness to the episodes. <laughs> it's you know, I I I you know. It does what I say a podcast should do. If I'm listening to it in the car, I start answering what you say. I either argue with you or if you can't think of something, I'm saying it's this, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then I think, OK, you know what? I'm going to send you a message or whatever. But by the time I get out of the car, I forget what I was doing. <laughs> so to me, that's that's a mark of a good podcast when you start answering it. So well,
4: that's a great that's, compliment. That's, yes, thank yes, you. Thank you.
3: So again, thank you guys. Right, for Thanks on. for having us. Yes, and, thank you very uh, I, much. I look forward to the next time, and maybe maybe next time we'll drag Sonya out.
6: Yeah, we're gonna, okay. we're, yeah, we're gonna definitely get her next time.
3: Okay, <laughs> and everybody else, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, come on back in two weeks.
4: Bye. 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 Don't be scared. We'll be feeling those quivers for days. The CEO
1: said. pretty girl ought to have nice things. I've always said so. Hey, you gotta forget about the way it used to be. Your brother could be dead. Nobody left but me to take care of you. Well, I've, I've got another brother in San Francisco, and he's in the mafia. There's
3: another car coming, Jody.
0: This area is quarantined. You'll have to detour. I'm a police officer. We're transporting injured people. This is an emergency. What is it
1: after an earthquake? Go
0: back or take him to a
1: Hare Krishna temple. Lou, help me! He's not crazy!
0: What the hell are you doing? I know this kid. He's under detention. Loading.
1: Take it easy. All right. Okay. Go back the way you came. Okay. Pull out!
5: That
6: guy
0: in there
6: is cracked. Come on.
0: Hey, come on. Pull up another hundred feet. Pull it around the corner and stop.